Chapter Ten of The Protector by Harold Bindloss. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Protector by Harold Bindloss. Chapter Ten, with the Otter Hounds. A week or two had slipped away since Vane's eventful interview, when he lounged upon the terrace after breakfast, chatting with Carroll. Suddenly a long, faint howl came up the valley, and was answered by another in a deeper note. Then a confused swelling clamor, which slightly resembled the sound of chiming bells, broke out, softened by the distance. Carroll stopped and listened. "'What in the name of wonder is that?' he asked. The first of it reminded me of a coyote howling but the rest's more like the noise the timber wolves make in the bush at night. "'You haven't made a bad shot,' Vane laughed. "'It's a pack of otter hounds hot upon the scent.' The sound ceased as suddenly as it had begun, but a few moments later Mabel came running towards the men. "'I knew the hounds met at Patton Brig, but Jim was sure they'd gone downstream,' she cried breathlessly. They're coming up, and I think they're at the pool below the village. Get two poles, you'll find some in the tool shed, and come along at once. She clambered into the house through a window, calling for Evelyn, and Carroll smiled. We have our orders, he remarked. I suppose we'd better go. It's one of the popular sports up here, said Vane. You may as well see it. They set out a few minutes later, accompanied by Evelyn, while Mabel hurried on in front and reproached them for their tardiness. At length, after crossing several wet fields, they came into a rushy meadow on the edge of the river, which spread out into a wide pool, fringed with alders which had not yet lost their leaves and the bearer withes of osiers. There was a swift stream at the head of it, and a long rippling shallow at the tail, and a very mixed company was scattered along the bank and in the water. A red-coated man with whip and horn stood in the tail outflow, and three or four more with poles in their hands were spread out across the stream behind him. These and one or two in the headstream appeared by their dress to belong to the hunt, but the rest, among whom were a few women, were attired in everyday garments and of different walks in life, artisans, laborers, people of leisure, and a belated tourist or two. Three or four big hounds were swimming aimlessly up and down the pool. A dozen more, or thereabouts, trotted to and fro along the water's edge, stopping to sniff and give tongue in an uncertain manner now and then but there was no sign of an otter. Carroll looked round with a smile when his companion stopped. "'There'll be very little work done in this neighborhood today,' he said. "'I'd no idea there were so many folks in the valley with time to spare. The only thing that's missing is the beast thereafter.' "'An otter is an almost invisible creature,' Evelyn explained. "'You very seldom see one.' unless it's hard-pressed by the dogs. There are a good many in the river, 
but even the trout fishers who were about at sunrise in the hot weather and wade in the dusk rarely come across them are you going to take a share in the hunt no replied carroll glancing humorously at his pole i don't know what i brought this thing for unless it was because mopsy sent me for it i'd sooner stay and watch with you splashing through a river after a little beast which i don't suppose they'd let an outsider kill doesn't interest me and i don't see why i should want to kill it anyway some of you english people have sporting ideas i can't understand i struck a young man the other day a well-educated man by the look of him who was spending the afternoon happily with a ferret by a cornstack killing rats with a club he seemed uncommonly pleased with himself because he'd got four of them oh exclaimed mabel you're as bad as the silly people who call killing things cruelty i wouldn't have thought it of you i've seen him said vane drop a deer going almost as fast as a locomotive through thick brush with a single shot rifle and i believe he once assisted in killing a panther in a thicket you couldn't see two yards ahead in the point is that he meant to eat the deer and the panther had been taking a rancher's hogs then i'm sorry i brought him said mabel decidedly he's not a sportsman i really think there's some excuse for the more vigorous sports evelyn declared of course you can't eliminate a certain amount of cruelty but admitting that isn't it just as well that men who live in a luxurious civilization should be willing to plod through miles of heather after grouse risk their limbs on horseback or spend hours in cold water these are bracing things they imply moral discipline it can't be nice to ride at a dangerous fence or flounder down a rapid after an otter when you're stiff with cold the effort to do so must be wholesome a sure thing carroll agreed the only drawback is that when you've got your fox or otter it isn't worth anything a good many of the folks in the newer lands have to make something of the kind of effort you described every day in their case the results are wagon trails valleys cleared for orchards new branch railroads i suppose it's a matter of opinion but if i'd put in a season's risky work i'd sooner have a piece of land to grow fruit on or a share in a mineral claim you get plenty of excitement in prospecting than a fox's tail but there are people in canada who wouldn't agree with me he strolled along the water's edge with evelyn and presently looked around mopsy's gone and i don't see vane he said after all he's one of us if you're born in the north country it's hard to keep out of the river when you hear the otter hounds they took up their station behind a growth of alders and for a while the dogs went trotting by in twos and threes or swam about the pool but nothing else broke the surface of the leaden-colored water then there was a cry an outbreak of shouting a confused baying 
and half a dozen hounds dashed past. Evelyn stretched out her hand. "'Look!' she said. Carol saw a small gray spot, the top of the otter's head, moving across the slacker part of the pool, with a very slight wedge-shaped ripple trailing away from it. It sank next moment, a bubble or two rose, and then there was nothing but the smooth flow of water. A horn called shrilly, a few whip-cracks rang out like pistol shots, and the dogs took to the water, swimming slowly here and there. Men scrambled along the bank and, while some, entering the river, reinforced the line spread out across the head rapid, others joined the second row, wading steadily upstream, and splashed about as they advanced with iron-tipped poles. Nothing rewarded their efforts. The dogs turned and went downstream, and then suddenly everybody ran or waded towards the tall outflow. A clamor of shouting and baying broke out, and floundering men and swimming dogs went down the stream together in a confused mass. Then there was silence, and the hounds came out and trotted to and fro along the bank, up which dripping men clambered after them. Evelyn laughed as she pointed to Vane, who looked wetter than most among the leading group. "'I don't suppose he meant to go in. It's in the blood,' she said. "'There's no reason why he shouldn't, if it amuses him,' Carol replied. A little later the dogs were driven in again, and this time the whole of the otter's head was visible as it swam upstream. The animal was flagging, and on reaching shoaler water it sprang out altogether now and then, rising and falling in the stronger stream with a curious serpentine motion. In fact, as head and body bent in the same sinuous curves, it looked less like an animal than a plunging fish. The men guarding the rapid stood ready with their poles, and more were wading and splashing up both sides of the pool. The otter's pace was getting slower. Sometimes it seemed to stop, and now and then it vanished among the ripples. Carol saw that Evelyn's face was intent, though there were signs of shrinking in it. "'Now,' he said, "'I'll tell you what you are thinking. You want that poor little beast to get away.' "'I believe I do,' Evelyn confessed. They watched with strained attention. The girl could not help it, though she dreaded the climax. Her sympathies were now with the hard-pressed, exhausted creature that was making a desperate fight for life. The pursuers were close behind it, the swimming dogs leading them, and ahead lay a foaming rush of water which did not seem more than a foot deep with men spread out across it. The shouting from the bank had ceased, and everybody waited in tense expectancy when the otter disappeared. The dogs reached the rapid, where they were washed back a few yards before they could make head upstream. Men who came splashing close upon their tails left the river to scramble along its edge, and then stopped abruptly, while the dogs swam in an uncertain manner about the still reach beyond. 
they came out in a few minutes and scampered up and down among the stones evidently at fault for there was no sign of the otter anywhere the hunted creature had crept up the rush of water among the feet of those who watched for it and vanished unseen into the sheltering depths beyond evelyn sighed with relief i think it will escape she said the river's rather full after the rain which is against the dogs and there isn't another shallow for some distance shall we go on they strolled forward behind the dogs which were again moving upstream but they turned aside to avoid a wood and it was some time later when they came out upon a rocky promontory dropping steeply to the river the hunt was now widely scattered about the reach men crept along slippery ledges above the water and moved over steeply slanting slopes half hidden among the trees a few were in the river and three or four of the dogs were swimming the rest spread out in twos and threes trotted to and fro among the undergrowth carol did not think that they were following any scent but a figure creeping along the foot of the rock not far away presently seized his attention it's mopsy he said the foothold doesn't look very safe among those stones and there seems to be deep water below he called out in warning but the girl did not heed the willows were thinner at the spot she had reached and squeezing herself through them she leaned down clinging to an alder branch he's gone to halt among the roots she cried three or four men came running along the opposite bank and apparently decided that she was right for the horn was sounded and here and there a dog broke through the underbrush then just as the first comers reached the rapid there was a splash it was a moment or two before evelyn or carol who had been watching the dogs realized what had happened and then the blood ebbed from the girl's face mabel had disappeared running a few paces forward carol saw what looked like a bundle of spread-out garments swing round in an eddy it washed in among the willows and he heard a faint cry somebody help me quick i've caught a branch he could not see the girl now but an alder bough was bending sharply and he flung a rapid glance around him the summit of the rock he stood upon rose above the trees and though he would have faced the risky fall had there been a better landing it seemed impossible to alight among the stones without a broken leg further downstream he might reach the water by a reckless jump because the promontory sloped towards it there but he would not be able to swim back against the current his position was a painful one it looked as if there was nothing that he could do next moment men and dogs went scrambling and swimming down the rapid but they were in hot pursuit of the otter which had left its hiding place and it was evident that the girl had escaped their attention Carroll shouted savagely as his comrade appeared among the tail of the hunt below. The others were too occupied to heed, 
or perhaps concluded that he was urging them on. But Vane, who was in the water, seemed to understand. In another few minutes he was swimming down the pool along the edge of the alders. Then Carroll saw that Evelyn expected him to take some part in the rescue. "'Get down before it's too late,' she cried. Carroll spread out his hands, as if to beg her forbearance, and while every impulse urged him to the leap, he endeavored to keep his head. "'I can't do any good just now,' he answered, knowing he was right and yet feeling horribly ashamed. "'She's holding on, and Wallace will reach her in a moment or two. Evelyn broke out on him in an agony of fear and anger. "'You coward!' she cried. "'Will you let her drown?' She turned and ran forward, but Carol, dreading that she meant to attempt the descent, seized her shoulder and held her fast. While he grappled with her, Vane's voice rose from below, and he let his hands drop. "'Wallace has her!' "'There's no more danger,' he said. Evelyn suddenly recovered some degree of calm. Standing, breathless, a pace or two apart, they saw Vane and the girl appear from beneath the willows and wash away downstream. The man was swimming, but he was hampered by his burden, and once he and Mabel almost sank from sight in a whirling eddy. Carol said nothing, but he turned and ran along the sloping ridge, until, where the fall was less and the trees were thinner, he leaped out into the air. He broke through the alders amidst a rustle of bending boughs and disappeared. But a moment later his head rose out of the water close beside Vane, and the two men went downstream with Mabel between them. Evelyn scrambled wildly along the ridge, and when she reached the foot of it, Vane was helping Mabel up the sloping bank of gravel. The girl's drenched garments clung about her, her wet hair was streaked across her face, but she seemed able to stand, and she was speaking in jerky gasps. The hunt had swept on through shoaler water, but there was a cheer from the stragglers across the river. Evelyn clutched her sister, half laughing, half sobbing, and incoherently upbraided her. Mabel shook herself free, and her first remark was characteristic. "'Oh,' she said, "'don't make a silly fuss.' Then she tried to shake out her dripping skirt. "'I'm only wet through, Wallace. Take me home.' Vane picked her up, which was what she seemed to expect, and the others followed when he pushed through the underbrush towards a neighboring meadow. Evelyn, however, was still a little unnerved, and when they reached a gap in a wall she stopped, and leaning against the stones turned to Carol. "'I think I'm more disturbed than Mopsy is,' she said. "'What I felt must be some excuse for me. I'm sorry for what I said. It was unjustifiable.' Anyway, it was perfectly natural, but I must confess that I felt some temptation to make a fool of myself. I might have jumped into those alders, 
but it's most unlikely that I could have got out of them. Evelyn looked at him with a faint respect. She had not troubled to point out that he had not flinched from the leap when it seemed likely to be of service. "'How had you the sense to think of that?' she asked. "'I suppose it's a matter of practice,' Carroll answered with amusement. "'One can't work among the ranges and rivers without learning to make the right decision rapidly. When you don't, you get badly hurt. The thing has to be cultivated. It's not instinctive.' Evelyn was struck by the explanation. This acquired coolness was a finer thing, and undoubtedly more useful than hot-headed gallantry, though she admired the latter. "'Wallace was splendid in the water,' she broke out, uttering part of her thoughts aloud. "'I thought rather more of him in the city,' Carroll replied. "'That kind of thing was new to him, and I'm inclined to believe I'd have let the folks he had to negotiate with have the mine for a good deal less than what he eventually got for it. But I've said something about that before, and, after all, I'm not here to play Boswell." The girl was surprised at the apt allusion. It was not what she would have expected from the man. Since she had not recovered her composure, she forgot what Vane had told her about him and her comment was an incautious one. "'How did you hear of him?' Carroll parried this with a smile. "'Oh,' he said, "'you don't suppose you can keep those old fellows to yourselves. They're international. But hadn't we better be getting on? Let me help you through the gap.' They reached the dean some time later, and Mabel, very much against her wishes, was sent to bed, while shortly afterwards Carroll came across Vane, who had changed his clothes, strolling up and down among the shrubberies. "'What are you doing here?' he asked. Vane looked embarrassed. "'For one thing, I'm keeping out of Mrs. Chisholm's way. She's inclined to be effusive. For another, I'm trying to decide what I ought to do. We'll have to pull out very shortly, and I had meant to have had an interview with Evelyn today. That's why I feel uncommonly annoyed with Mopsy for falling in. Carol made a grimace. If that's how it strikes you, any advice I could offer would be wasted. A sensible man would consider it a promising opportunity. And trade upon it. Do you really want the girl? That impression's firmly in my mind, said Vane, curtly. Then you had better pitch your quixotic notions overboard and tell her so. Vane made no answer, and Carroll, seeing that his comrade was not inclined to be communicative, left him. End of chapter 10 Recording by Roger Moline